Hi there and welcome to Scale, a podcast for modern media. I am your host Stuart Ritchie, the founder and lead developer at Powered by Coffee. Powered by Coffee is a web and software development team focusing on technology issues facing the media today. Scale is a podcast about how technology impacts the media and how the media impacts technology in return. Everything from ad tech and privacy to hosting and content management. We're interested in what's happening today, what's happening tomorrow and where we might end up in the future. Today we've got a great guest for you. We've got Fahe Arabian from the State of Digital Publishing, a great sort of publisher community and a focused publisher SEO or search engine optimization specialist. Fahe, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, about State of Digital Publishing, all of that? Thanks for thanks for uh, allowing me to be a guest on your podcast. First of all, I think yeah, you are having a good intersection of different people from what I've seen so far. But essentially, State of Digital Publishing. It's our vision. Our mission is to help the publishers develop sustainable business models. And what we're trying to do is we're, we're taking two sides. Part of the consulting side is for publishers that are looking for audience growth and they're looking for ways to sustainably grow through SEO and, and improving the editorial op- op- operations and looking at technical areas like Google News SEO. We help them through that, through our various range of solutions. And then we have our own digital, which you alluded to, we have our own digital media publishing community, and we're looking to grow out our SDP brand as a name, as a market research publisher to provide the statistics, to provide the digital technology trends around, like, for example, what the next TikTok is or any other thing that we are from, from our experiences, provide those resources to digital media publishers. So I think let's start first principles because, you know, it's a podcast, you never know who's listening to it might be someone's first day on the job. What is SEO? The most basic of... <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, is pretty much the art of the, the process of how to look at improving your visibility for search. And I guess the way that you should look at it is essentially there's two approaches. You have to always take a user-first philosophy and approach. So with the whole point of search engines is to find relevant information or queries that people are looking for information on. That's obviously, that's, that's the very basic version of the explanation. But what you, what you try to do is that you look at technical factors, the content factor, and both of them essentially work together because what Google does is they go through the web and search engines go through the web, they find pages on the website and they try to collect the information that's most relevant to that query to then deliver into the search results. That's that's the very basic foundations it was built on. Now it's a lot more dynamic. So sure. there's even like looking at the opportunities like image search, where you can literally upload your image on the image Google Lens and it will give you the best result for that to video discovery and Google Discover and like and trying to provide personalization towards what you're searching for so that Google's trying to predict what the next search you're doing to be able to make that more of an answer sort of based engine. So yeah, that's good. That's in a nutshell, uh, the, the whole process of this. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Cool. So, I mean, I think for my world and my understanding, there's two kind of takes on SEO. And for my background history, I have done more or been involved more with what I would call commercial SEO, which is kind of how you described SEO in general, where a business will say, I want to find customers searching for following things and I don't want to pay for PPC. I want something longer term with more value. So I'm going to try and work out what those searches are, what those intentions are, and then create pages on my site that answer those questions. So there's a part of that is content of like 
do you have the actual thing the search engine is going to find and read that they can recommend, but also the technical side of making that as easy as possible for the search engine to understand. For my limited understanding of publisher SEO, that's much harder because particularly with a breaking news story, there's no real way of anticipating how or what someone is searching for or giving it time to index. So it seems to me like a very, very different discipline to do publisher SEO and SEO for news than it is to do SEO for a commercial site. Does that, does that sound about the right understanding of it? hundred percent, because basically, like I was alluding to before with news, there's different surfaces. Like I was talking about before about image and video being the next sort of like commercial trend thing, but mm-hmm. with publisher SEO, like you said, like top stories is a different beast in itself in terms of what factors, like there is the core principles of SEO. But then there's other things on top of that, like the speed of cover, the coverage of the news article or who the original sources are and stuff like that. And with that, you have to, it's a lot more competitive. It's a lot more narrow too. And also a heavier focus on your eats on and whether or not you're, you're seen as a trustworthy source, because ultimately that's like the more, and, and there's that also the lucrative, there's a more lucrative side of, of publisher SEO as well, because like, particularly for news SEO and top stories, because with publishers too as well, like there's different types of publishers, whether it's magazine or news media or, or subscription only. And a lot of people might rely just on Evergreen, which is going to be the same thing as a, a blog that has a lot of resources, which a lot of people are becoming anyways, publishers anyways these days and content creators. But particularly on the news SEO side, there's a lucrative opportunity. Like if you are constantly getting triggered in top stories, then you're naturally going to get, you're going to naturally earn links that reputation, that trust, because you are seen as the original source for that news coverage. So you, to your point about the predictability of those news stories, there's there's definitely tools out there like Google Trends. There's a lot more enterprise solutions as well that can you can use to track your keywords to, to anticipate trend, uprising trends. And that's what technology is helping to make that a bit more predictable. But at the end of the day, you, you got to just go down to the basics of your journalism practices to be able to really be seen as a credible news organization or, or okay. publisher. Of course. Then, Hank, yeah, so you mentioned there are kind of a, another split within that of like news SEO. So how do you do that work for somebody where it's always breaking stories? Maybe they're going through 20, 30 releases a day versus someone who, what was the term you used? Was it long tail or organic where the content are evergreen? So yeah, more of a niche blog that is like tutorials and things like that. So do they, do you feel like there are different approaches for, for those kind of organizations? The whole, I think I wouldn't like, sorry, there's a fundamental approach that we're taking called topic pillars and clusters. And basically that means like an approach where you identify your, your key areas of expertise or key topics. And then within that supporting content around that. So for example, if you haven't used entertainment website and you're covering around the latest Disney streaming news, then part of the searches around the entities around that might be a particular show, like the upcoming, the Star Wars, what's it called? I've, I've, put, I've put my foot in my mouth now that I don't know the names, but just you can, there's always a Star Wars thing coming. It could be anything. Who knows when this always happens, coming out. <laughs> or, the, or the next Marvel TV series, but basically yeah. all those things, like for example, help build the subject around Disney streaming and to answer to your question, right, with any news or evergreen, you still have to show like the cluster, the, all the related stories instead of like, just doing random types of, of news content because otherwise then you're not going to be able to develop your eight, your expert, your authority and your trust 
Um, and yeah, basically that all, that continuous coverage is what's going to help you with the, the news point of view, with the evergreen, which we always advocate to our news publishers anyways, is to help build up your benchmark for your traffic. And that's going to be what's going to be there for the longer period instead of that one hit, sugar hit, that a lot of publishers get from top stories. It's just the, I guess, the timing and the life of that content is going to be different. Okay. And, and I think, and sorry, just quickly as well, just top level, top level as well, like a news, a news publisher's objective is going to be a bit different from a, a general publisher, like a magazine publisher, like with a B2B and niche, but B2B and niche magazine publisher, their goal might be less about the size of your audience and more about the quality of your audience and being able to generate high quality lists for their lead generation. So yeah, everyone's going to be important about that so they can get that sustainability well for maybe for news publishers. It's going to be more focused on around advertising revenue. So the, the more concurrent traffic they get at that point of time to, to see the stories or to see their featured pieces, it's going to help them get the advertising partners they're looking for and they reach the that they're looking for. So it also plays around different objectives you're trying to achieve. Of course, that makes complete sense. So that's then like, I think it'd be useful to look at a, a hypothetical, I suppose, where say you were a traditionally print magazine and you're going online for the first time and you've had, you've done a couple of months, maybe a year or two of just publishing your content and running it as, you know, effectively a nice blog. Where do you start with thinking about SEO for that kind of publisher? What are, what are their first steps for starting to go from our editorial process is we write the content and we publish it to we write the content, we optimize around it and we publish it. And in fact, there may be a step before that of like, how do we plan what that content is going to be for the search engine to in turn generate interest from readers? Is that a very broad question? That's no, not, it's, it's ties back to the concept of faster approach, which is the whole planning, the planning that you have to do. So I guess, you move away from the concept of keywords to topics and you sure. understand generally auditing your content that you've had, like with magazine publishers, that they have a real great strength in the history of their content, which they yeah. can digitize and bring online and reformat it. So I guess you have a review of all the content, see what topics you've generally covered and, and start with your topic and keyword research to identify what are the clusters and, and that can then make up your key pillars you want to define. To simplify it in some aspects, that, that can translate into a category, that can translate into a, a taxonomy or a tag. So you can start planning those things out and where that's going to sit on your website. And then ultimately, there's a once you do the, that research, then it's about mapping out and planning those things in advance, particularly for the evergreen content. So what content is going to be evergreen focused informational, what's going to be promotional, like we call that promotional in the sense that it's going to naturally links because, for example, a listicle that's going to feature a top top listicle, for example, where it might feature a business and they're going to then link back to you. And then, then you can have the conversion focused content, which is going to be more of your tactical or technical or conversion focused content. If you plan all these things with the pillars that you're building and the clusters around them in advance, then you can then just design your workflow to just go in and create that content, create the briefs around them using Surfer SEO, which is like the optimization checks before you go live. And then you start just doing that consistently, create your content flywheel, and then go ahead and put in some measures in the place where you evaluate the performance of that content and, and then determine from there, like, okay, for this niche or section, because I see that the search landscape is changing every three or four months. So 
I need to go back and revisit that content, refresh and re-optimize that content. That's one of the other biggest things that publishers also underutilize or don't appreciate as much because if you, as much as you're trying to grow your amount of publishing over time, reusing that content that you have at the moment makes your growth a lot more fast. It makes it much faster. So the driver of how many pillars is really more of a, what resources do the content team have to make, make those be good? So again, is it better? I suppose then that follows on. Is it better to have a few that are really good pillars versus one or two that are good or three or four that are pretty, pretty shaky? Exactly. It's all, yeah, it's better to have a few that are good, Correct. but, but at the, at the same time, have that new, one of the other things you can incorporate that to give yourself the option to keep growing is like how you define your URL structures and stuff. So for example, like some of our publishers that don't have subcategory, like the, the, the articles aren't in subcategories that doesn't define your pillars and clusters and how Google interprets sort of the, your topical authority or how they perceive you for that subject. It's a placement okay. and everything else. But you, if you have a single level of structure and you know that you're going to ramp up significantly over a couple of years time, rather than going through the process of changing the structure every time to then dilute your SEO, you can keep it more flexible by having it on a flat URL, for example, and, okay. and, and then change the category in the back end of a, uh, of a period of time as your site evolves. Okay. So, cause my, my assumption would be that that was primarily communicated to Google through this and other search engines through the site structure. So with me and forward slash category being the pillar subcategory being the cluster and then the, the topic post, but you're saying that that's, that's not so much the case, but that's good to know. So how do you yeah. communicate that to Google if it's not, that's sorry, that's rotted away with questions though. No, that's okay. I think there's a perception of like site, uh, your structure doesn't mean site structure or site architecture. Sure. Is there's different functions on the website itself. So your menu, your footer, where, how your site, the click depth, your internal linking, all those things are much more of an important factor that gives Google an indication of how well you cover the topics. The URL itself, like the, the individual URL for an article name and optimizing that, that's important, but that's all relative. That's really interesting. Good to, good to know, because I always thought it was the URL structure was how that was told. Like, no, it's, I mean, it, the funny thing is, was like, you see, like I see bigger enterprise publishers, right? They have mm-hmm. like tag pages, like, like for example, entertainment celebrity sites where Michael B. Michael B. Jordan News, for example, they, they have four slash tag, it's ranking, it gets a lot of traffic and it's not even really optimal as well. But the fact that they have all that content housed in that and it's not having that sub stuff site structure, the site structure isn't reflecting in the news article, shows that they understand about that because of how the other factors are playing into the to, for the website. So cool. if that helps, gives you context on the example, have yeah. a look at those entertainment I, sites. Yeah, I will. I imagine those are the most heavily optimized for that kind of transient traffic as well, which is really good to know. Yeah. Cool. So then we've, we've talked about kind of how we're looking at pillars and clusters and topics. The next one there was the content flywheel, which is a term I've heard in content strategy for large-scale organizations that are planning websites that have you know, a thousand, two thousand pages that will always be updated to your big enterprises, but not in a media space. Do you want to tell us a little bit what you mean mean about that? The fundamental truth is that you need to get the there's there's a proliferation of content. There's a lot more content being published every day exponentially, and you need to cut through. So, and that's because of the nature of how we're living and the nature of the web evolving. So 
we're not, I'm not the content flywheel is like your editorial like mechanism to be able to start thinking about how you're going to set up your workflow and your planning of your publishing of your content so that you increase the quality of your publishing over time and doing that effectively. It's not like, like, like you, you know, we're not trying to say, suggest like publishing dozens of billion pages just for the sake of gaming Google search, but over time, the more you're going to be able to cover a subject, it's going to be able to help you better structure and develop your authority. So yeah, that's, that's sorry, to answer this question, it's just more of that mechanism that, and planning and approach you take to continue to grow that. Okay, so I mean, thing with a flywheel is that it gets faster and faster, it never really loses momentum, but it feeds exactly. on itself. So is that kind of the goal of like, you're creating some content and then you are revisiting it to, you know, create derivative content that follows on as more information is added or always updating the kind of parent pieces. So the Google is like, oh, this is, you know, all of the, all of the, version. all of the above Stuart. And I think, um, like I was saying, like when you're going to think about your pillars and clusters, you break it down to three areas, which one's going to be the informational, the traffic driver ones, which one's going to be the promotional, promotional or linkable content pieces, which can then link to the other ones. And that's going to help make that grow quicker. But ultimately you want those pieces to then go to more of the content pieces that are going to help drive business outcomes. So for example, you might cover a lifestyle publication. You might do an information about how to, the best way to do the shaving, how to do shaving, for example, information. Sure. Promotional might be the best shavers, men's shavers. The conversion one might be a review of, of a specific shaving product. It's still going to drive traffic, but not as much as the traffic as the informational one. And then ultimately you want to direct the, that traffic to the, the review piece because that's what's going to help with the affiliate links in that. It's going to generate you more revenue and, and then allow you to reinvest that into other content areas and content pieces and build that up more quickly. Okay. That was all very clear. Thank you very much. Then I think, how do you feel about more and more content being generated by artificial intelligence's quote unquote AI? As we are recording this, my Twitter and LinkedIn is filled with chat GPT and people being simultaneously wowed by how, by what it can produce and others just dumbfounded at, it's like, it's just created something that passes itself off as accurate. Sounds accurate, sounds confident, but is inaccurate. And obviously this is like a fairly big topic within news and media of like, okay, how, how can we create more content that is valuable? Do you see a, a place for it within within publishers as well? It's a deep question, I know. but It's, it's an important one as well because the helpful content update, like it really slammed a lot of the lifestyle publishers in September and October. I think as, so basically, it's all for, for whenever, whatever is programmatic that is going to involve repetitive things that isn't like Google has a rubric in the, the guidelines and in that it is something that's current, important, that is going to make a difference to someone's life. If we're going to give, if we're going to allocate AI, GPT, GPT chat and other, other tools that are out there like Jarvis, which is going to spit out content. If we're going to add it to that, it's not going to add value to people's life. And that's what's going to cause harm because it's going to, result in misinformation, inaccuracy, and stuff like that. Now, for basic things like a weather weather forecast or a sports recap of the scores and stats, it's it's important, but it's not going to add value if, if, if there's going to be deep thought or stuff like that in there. So I think you need to put it where the, there's going to be focus on things that are repeatable. That's not going to impact on someone's life dramatically. 
that's yeah. still going to be information information otherwise like if if you're going to get a sports writer who's got a very is who's a commentator that's has simple user experience why do you want them to repeat that or regurgitate that you should put them on things that they can spend time on creating original stories around that's going to make that audience growth more valuable and the engagement more valuable okay so Smith, and that's the the difference in presenting facts so like to go back to the sports analogy i suppose like it's very clear to go like factually the outcome of the match was this the scores were this the following things happened at this time this time this time and this time that doesn't need necessarily human to go and write that whenever that can be adjusted by me and isn't going to cause any harm to anyone it's not generating an opinion it's just repeating more palatably some data as opposed to someone writing a sports piece on how they feel x y and z team is doing in the term and in the season and how like that manager is impacting it because that's a very thoughtful piece that someone should have an opinion on but i think i think it's an interesting piece as well because obviously these chat algorithms chat algorithms text generation algorithms are fed from a corpus of data that is found on the internet i've seen a lot of content around stack overflow now yep. banning responses generated by these generators because often stack overflow is used as the source so you are now overriding the source with the generated second generation content you're not adding anything else it's only working out from there and again i think from stack overflow's perspective they're worried about like is Google going to impact that because they're a very search optimization driven yeah driven company well that's we've, we've already seen that like in the even in, even in the basic sense with a lot of like lifestyle publishers across the UK sure. and Australia and a lot of them that haven't even reviewed a product before and they're covering lists and they're not writing yeah. in a particular vernacular themselves they're, they're writing it but it's such like some of them, it's too much search engine focus, but some of them are doing that to help build the audience. Like, but anyways, like Google's smart enough to pick up the vernacular, even to determine whether or not mm-hmm. you actually experience that product themselves. How you write about, yeah. In in a nutshell, like even AI, human level, it's become smarter. So you need to really be authentic with what you're trying to do, and and be able to show, show that that process on how you do that across your website. So with with a lot of our publishers. And even SODP, we've done it now recently because we started to launch our own tool list and section that we specify who's fact-checker, who's who's the editor, and who's the actual writer. Because each of them are different in the process of actually getting that published life for our organization, for example. And we're trying to advocate yeah. the same for many of our publishing clients as well. That's great. There's a lot of folks who can go to the, the effort. Of, there's a lot more and more places you don't even see an author tag of like written by see like a generic company name team here and like okay i feel a little bit suspicious now but i think oh, i think as well I, I think just a quick point i want to yeah. touch on as well like i think some of these small publishers as well they feel like that they want to publish the content of of that level where maybe it's again capacity is an issue you just need to rely more on those third party experts and maybe you don't publish as much and be realistic of your expectations and not try to game the system. I think that's, yeah, there's always going to be the challenges with small to medium publishers in trying to get to the levels of bigger publishers. Coming back to SEO more kind of broadly and publishing in particular. So you mentioned, you know, third party consultants and working with third parties there, which obviously you are. With a broad range of experience, what do you kind of see are the most common 
mistakes that people are publishers or small scale publishers at least are making that they could rectify as quickly as possible and get a real result out of or is that too broad too many, uh, <laughs> too many options <laughs> there's a lot there but let me try to distill it down i definitely wanted to give some takeaways i think undervaluing the performance of refreshing and determining okay. when you need to do that and within even within a particular sections of your website like every single like the, the map general rules on saying like i'm going to go through and re refresh content for all my articles twice a year for example but they need to have a little more closer look at the subs see if the competitors are frequently updating and then create a schedule so for example like with netflix shows coming out it's technically a listicle and it's a little it's somewhat evergreen but it gets updated every month because there's a new show coming out the, the list of shows coming out from the streaming platform so you have to reflect that for people who are searching for the best tv shows netflix tv shows for example that's one thing the second thing is like underestimating as well the value of housekeeping broken links everything else like that that's when you typically see publishers see a plateau or decline like they see there's a curve where it goes down and then the they see at the plateau yeah. during, during poor algorithm updates. And that's because they haven't gone through an update and all those affiliate links or broken links or websites, you know, change and they change their website exercise and where they link it to change or even like taking care of their website in terms of their core, core web vitals and page experience. Those other things are really yeah. upkeeping that's really important as well. Yeah. And, and, and then there's the final general area is just more about like whether it's news or whether it's, sorry, it's my train of thought there. That's fine. I think the other common thing, two, sorry, two other common things. One of them is more about determining what the next steps are when they're trying to expand and how to expand in terms of like defining what their categories are, subcategories are. And I think the pillar of the discussion we had earlier on would be a, a useful base to start off with. And then the, the final thing is just more about with particularly Google News, like publishing a lot of content, doing 300 to 500 words, just arbitrary value that they put because they just want to get more pump out more doesn't work and generally just thinking more about a thoughtful clustering approach like where you you have a main story follow-up stories after that see how much that generally needs to be covered in depth and adding that value is what's going to help you get better top stories and predicting a lot of the days where you need to publish specific types of stories as well really okay. gives you that value great so you mentioned google news which is something we've mentioned on yet like can we let's let's say a little bit around that google news is I suppose at best a aggregator. So publishers submit their content to Google News and people on Android phones mostly will subscribe to various topics and kind of get digests from Google based on what they like, their geography, their history, looking at things. And it will mostly be stuff they've already interacted with, but they will get a mixture of new content and new publishers exposed to them over time. Apple News is similar, but maybe has a smaller footprint is that a right enough summary of google news let me explain a little bit more on that so there's uh, oh, i think there's a um there's different services where in which news appears there's the top story on the universal search results and that's more for the cover top stories at the time when you click on the news tab in the google search results that's the continuation of the top stories but it's just going through all the latest news articles and ranking factors based on that that's different from news.google.com which you spoke about, which is the, which is the aggregate. And that's, and All right. a lot of that, what you said is true, but where that's coming from, that that's source is coming from is mostly from Google publisher center because the yeah. publishers are submitting their feed. 
they they try to determine what the best way to optimize that is and then that can help get some referral traffic from that, that third party source you then have a lot more now different algorithm algorithmic ways or sorry there's also different algorithmic ways that they're trying to surface content whether it's through google discover and that's where you also have the news mobile news app and your for android phones as well in particular where you see the latest articles based on your browsing history also come up so basically there's four main types but this that come up algorithmically and then you can do Google web stories, which is like the whole video and story vertical. And sometimes as well, social is becoming a lot more coming into the play where, for example, you might search for a particular celebrity. And now at the top, you see their biography, you see a little bit of some of the articles that are mostly associated with them. And you might see their social feed that and, and people's other brands social feed that cover that topic as well. So it's becoming a little bit more complex these days, but yeah. yeah, there's like two main systems, the algorithmic side and then top, sorry, three, three, t- algorithmic top stories and then the social and the other opportunities you can leverage. And so then when you're talking about getting a publisher into Google News, I imagine it's mostly the top stories, kind of current events. Somebody searched for something and this is related news that you're mostly interested in I'll, getting into. Yeah, I, I don't like that too much because it's just implies that you can game it. It's more surfacing in top stories. But yeah, exactly that when publishers typically speak about that, it's more about surfacing in top stories. Okay, great. And you say, it sounds like it would be very difficult to game, that it's fairly well curated. I don't I have no... It's, 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 it's all about the fundamental factors to help eventually get surfaced. And we work with publishers that started from zero and it can take up to sometimes for the, depending on how much you're publishing, it can take up to two years to appear in top stories. Sometimes it can be more depending on how aggressive you are and how, like, again, resourcing and how you present yourself as an organization to really develop your authority. So, and so that all comes, comes yeah. back to the fundamentals of, you know, your pillars and clusters of like Google and the other search engines know that you are an authority on this topic and therefore trust somewhat when you were publishing that this is something to go as a top result within these top stories news stories for the, I can't what the terminology there yeah, for stories, this yeah. for this search result is that about yeah that about right cool and then and, but you can also influence that as well like we've seen that like i mean journalists are journalists and they know pr so if you work with other people in the industry yeah. they start linking to your stories those things can help from an offsite, like an external linking point of view, help your authority as well. So you should that you shouldn't forget about those other things. Yeah, of course. So let's go a little bit broader then, I suppose, because a few things that you mentioned earlier on that I just want to like briefly touch on is using images as part of the so Google image search and other things like that as part of the search engine optimization strategy, which is yeah. which is not something I had heard of before. I'd love to know a little bit more about that. So with images now, like. Um, Let's, I just want to speak to a commercial example and then apply that to publishers. So for example, someone searching for green shirt, for example, they might have mm-hmm. a picture, they might have a picture, Google Lens is basically looking at the image and interpreting what you're looking for and then going to get the best results for that. So you might, you might go through and take a picture, I might take a picture of my shirt now and I'm looking for um, a t-shirt, green checkered t-shirt, it's going to then show similar results around that in the image result and it can also show that images as well in the universal result so basically what's happening is that with the way that people are moving towards looking at with with the like with technology getting us to that point where it's smart enough to do that it's presenting the image search itself is it's a surface 
it's a platform where you can find those opportunities and then that can if your image is coming up drives you referral traffic now how that applies to publishers you can apply to photojournalism where if they have unique images and people are using that across their news articles and they're being attributed as a story that can be picked up for trending news evergreen collateral material that you're creating and that's that's a you know unique and something that's defining a concept all those other things provide an opportunity to do that what google said as well in their yearly's on search conference it's not the io conference where it's the more the technical developer one it's more yeah. the focused product roadmap for the search thing you next see is that they're adding multi-search google lens multi-image search so they were sorry but basically they were trying to it's basically being able to be more smart about searching for by specific attribute and there's like a multi-search process you can now take to better get better results from image search so they're, they're improving the technology significantly around their google lens product because they're seeing a lot more of content by images working being consumed more than text so over time you're going to see like web stories because uh, that's also being triggered by web stories okay. in, in the, indirectly so images and and video through because of web stories and how people are looking for short snackable content is driving that need to present image search in a better way and that multi okay. and google google lens is their product to do basically okay great so then um, you're publishing you know, images that are tied back to kind of the primary website as a traffic driver of particularly i suppose around affiliate marketing of like oh get this green shirt from this brand and here's our affiliate link back to the original um source or even just a kind of audience development thing yeah and it's also an opportunity for them to get the royalties on images that they've covered themselves like you know it's a oh, sure. way. yeah yeah that's a long way as well Cool. And then the other one you mentioned, and you said it there again, is video. So how, do, how does video impact on SEO for, kind of for publishers? I can understand like search on search optimization within YouTube is a big thing to kind of surface breaking content and breaking news that there's a real obvious sort of monetization path for the publisher around publishing their content there. But does that, does that, would we find that impacting the kind of primary site the kind of primary outlets things like that it, it just presents a new medium a new yeah. sorry a new surface for them because basically with gen gen z and generation alpha looking at more of that kind of content um mm -hmm. it provides a bit more opportunity to reach new audiences that way so yeah i think that's that's the main thing and i think what's helped trigger that back is the trends that we've seen with TikTok during COVID. A lot of people were using that to interact with family and sorry what i read was there was a study where the reason why TikTok is where it is now and, and it's become popular than instagram and facebook and now they're catch, trying to catch up is because of how it was used to do the family sort of TikToks and used for interaction and how the personalization of their platform is really using driving the discoverability of their content so sorry basically yeah video is short video is coming back into the norm and i think as I heard as well, like Twitter might even revive Vine because of how yeah, TikTok, TikTok is benefiting from that. So, yeah. I think it's a really, really weird place. I wonder, because I wonder how long, sorry, complete tangent now. I'm more, I wonder how long the short video thing is kind of going to go on because there's people now making their livelihoods out of kind of producing stuff for TikTok. But TikTok doesn't have a YouTube style you get a percentage of the ad sell on your on your video because you can't attach the ad to a video it's kind of in between 
what you had there. So they've tried to monetize it with like creator funds, but the more popular the platform, the less money each creator gets. So it becomes unsustainable for them to do that over time. And I'm like, okay, well, I how think is this? No, no, so I want to, I want to also, I like, I like this type of conversation. So quickly, just on that, I think YouTube, it depends on how YouTube shorts goes to be honest, because YouTube had a, a long period of testing this out. A lot of, for a long time, a lot of these creators didn't get money. Now, with being able to monetize YouTube Shorts itself, and they have that big, they're the second largest search engine, and then nowadays have this product, they have the opportunity to monetize on. I think it's just a trial and error, and we're going to see eventually people be able to mature and, and monetize it from. Yeah, I think, I mean, YouTube did a, a creator fund as well for Shorts, and I think now are moving towards having the same kind of revenue splits on, on, shorts as well. on the Shorts. But I don't know if I have ever seen an ad on YouTube Shorts. Right, back to SEO then. So I think I want to want to start wrapping this up a little bit. So so I want to respect your time. We've been here for a while. Moving on from SEO, actually, State of Digital Publishing. Tell us about the the community running. Community that we're running is it's an interesting um, intersect. I think the core like there's two main areas of audiences like it's people that are, are SME publishers that are that are in charge of their audience development and SEO is a core part of it. But then we've also have, you know, ad tech, my tech partners, like the likes of yourselves as well, and other people that are focusing on not only just audience growth, but also just trying to find trends and monetization opportunities. So essentially with the community, I would say that most, most of the community is more active through our office hours and, and, and in-person events and stuff, we're trying to eventually grow enough to be able to do that in a more impactful way. And who, who should join? Yeah, it could be any SME publish, SME small to medium publisher that is trying to be, is very hands-on and trying to pass it off to someone else uh, in, and build a management team, or it could be generally anyone who's interested in by what the next TikTok or YouTuber, YouTuber is, for example. So yeah, any content creator or publisher that is in the type of trends or a publisher that's more hands-on. Awesome. Fai, where can people find out more more about you? Where can they connect? Do you want them to follow you on Twitter or LinkedIn? It's absolutely fine if you don't. But if you do have anywhere that you would like people to to reach out, where they can find out more about you, that would be great to share. Absolutely. Main main or website stateofdigitalpublishing.com. You can go out there, check out our content. If you want to reach out to me, it's just my name via at stateofdigitalpublishing.com as well. Any questions you have at any time, feel free to reach out. And we've also got our LinkedIn and Twitter as well. So you can also search for us there. Thank you very much. That was very insightful. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, please subscribe. Scale is available in all usual podcast places. Even better, uh, if you could leave us a review, that really helps us. If you're interested in finding out more about me or Powered by Coffee, you can find us on social media. And again, in all the usual places, Links are in the show notes. Scale is currently going to kind of come out every two weeks and we will see you then.